You know, sometimes we open up our Bibles and we can be like the teenager who is staring into the open refrigerator. You know what I'm talking about here? The guy, the little kid, the, the girl, she opens up the fridge and she says, there's nothing in here to eat. I'm starving. Where's the food? And you yell from the, from the living room. You know, I bought groceries yesterday. There's food in there. There's a silent pause. What am I going to eat? There's nothing in this refrigerator. And you get up from the couch and you go in and you look. There's enough food in there to feed your family for a month. The thing is packed with food. What's the deal? There's nothing to eat. The food needs to be cooked. It needs to be prepared. It needs to be, I'm going to love having Ruth on the front row right here. Amen. <laughs> the food needs to be put together. And the kids don't know how to do that. And a lot of them don't want to learn. And so they stare into the riches of this full refrigerator and they starve. Sometimes when we open up our Bibles, there's so much in here and we don't know where to start. And I'm telling you, if we'll think about the Bible as the story of God, if we'll understand the scriptures as this grand, sweeping, epic narrative of who God is and what he's doing in the world, it will help us. It will help us better connect the dots in all the scriptures. It will help us more accurately interpret God's will for us and for his world. And it'll help us more easily identify with the scriptures. We can put ourselves in the story. And we'll know our lines and we'll play our roles and we'll perform the script according to what God is doing in our lives. The story of God right now is in Act 5. We are living today in Act 5 of the story of God. This is church. Act 5 is when all of us are pushed out onto the stage. The lights are up, the curtains are open. And we're on the stage, and we've all got our parts to play, and we've all got our lines to say. All of us have been given a role in the story of God, and it's an important role. It's not just a cameo. Act 5 is the casting call, and you're on the list. From 27 B.C. to 180 A.D., and this is, this is during the time of Jesus, okay? This is during all the time the New Testament is being lived and written. This is a 206-year period, and it's known as, in history books, it's known as the Peace of Rome. Pax Romana in Latin, okay? The Peace of Rome, the Roman Empire at this time had expanded its territory and achieved an enormous area of rule with their superior military technology and training and numbers. The Roman Empire pretty much ruled the entire known world and they accomplished it with violent force. When the Roman armies would defeat the king of another territory and destroy his forces, Caesar would appoint an ambassador he would appoint an official representative to proclaim the victory to all the vanquished enemies. This proclamation of victory was called gospel. Evangelion is the Greek word. It just means good news. And the announcement went something like this. To the enemies of Rome, I bring you good news of great joy and peace. See, even back then it was all about the spin. 
Caesar is Lord now of this province. Caesar is now your king. You must bow to him. You must obey him. You must submit to his rule. Lord Caesar brings you peace and security and protection. The benevolent Roman Empire provides for you roads and food and water and civilized government. Caesar is your new king. You are no longer his enemies. Now there is peace. He establishes peace for you and for your community and for the whole world. During the time of the New Testament, the word gospel was a political term. It was the good news that now you're under a new king. Now you are under new rules, a new order. Now, it was achieved by violence and force, and it was maintained by the threat of more violence and more force, but the political spin was peace. The United States calls its B-36 bomber that drops nuclear warheads peacemaker. So we know how this works, right? All empires are like this. To the Roman Empire, peace is when your enemies are beaten down to the point that they don't have the ability or the heart to fight back. That's peace. That's all empires. And that's all kings except one. In Mark chapter 16, the women arrive at the tomb on a Sunday morning. Stone's been moved. Jesus is not there. And the angel says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He has risen. In other words, every single thing Jesus ever told you about the kingdom of God is now coming true. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a miracle to show us the power of God. It's not just a sign that proves there really is life after death. The resurrection of Jesus is the decisive event that inaugurates the kingdom of God. Jesus is risen. It's not, hey, Jesus is risen and, and now it looks like we get to go to heaven when we die. It's more like Jesus is risen. You better get to Galilee and check in. See what he needs you to do. In Matthew chapter 28, you've got almost, almost verbatim, word for word, the exact same account. The women arrive at the tomb on Sunday morning. The stone's been moved. Jesus is not there. And the angel says, he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then Jesus himself runs into the women and he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That all nations is critical. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And by that authority, he commands his disciples to go now and make it happen. You go do the work of the kingdom according to my authority. Jesus is telling his ambassadors to declare the evangelion to all the nations, to call all the territories to allegiance to their new king. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus' very first words out of his mouth, after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples, and the first word to them is peace. Peace. While he's eating dinner with them, because that's what God does when he wants to express peace. He sits down to a meal with his people. That's how God shows his people that everything's good between you and me now. He's eating with them. Jesus is eating a dinner of broiled fish with his disciples, and he explained everything. Verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus is connecting the dots now in the story. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. There's a new order now. There are new rules there are new realities now. Everything's brand new for all the nations. The enemy has been destroyed. Peace between God and his people has now been established. True peace. Genuine security. And Jesus, the king, says to his disciples, you go tell everybody. In the mid-30s A.D., this is what a king does. When he gains new territories to rule. In Matthew 28, the first words out of Jesus' mouth following his resurrection. Greetings, do not be afraid. Go and tell. Mark 16, first words out of Jesus' mouth when he walks out of the tomb. Go into all the world and proclaim the evangelion, the good news to all of creation. All of creation. Right here in Luke 24. The good news is going to be preached to all the nations. You're my witnesses. I'm going to send you, he says. And then John 20, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth when he comes out of the tomb, when he sees his disciples for the very first time in John 20, he says, peace be with you. He says it twice. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Yeah. Jesus is now king over all the earth and his messengers, his emissaries are to go into all the territories to proclaim the good news of his righteous rule. And that is exactly what happens in part five of the story of God. In Acts chapter 1, and we're going to get Acts the book and, and the different acts of the story of God confused every now and then. But in Acts chapter 1, we find the opening lines in part five of the story. 
Verse 8 says, these are Jesus' words, they're in red. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the opening scene in Act 5. The proclaimed kingdom. And this is where you and I come in. We are living today, right now, in this fifth part of God's story. And it's not finished yet. It's still going. Church. This is church. God established his church by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in order to proclaim to the whole world the good news that Jesus is king. The church is the communications department of the kingdom of God. We are telling all nations that God has come here in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ to establish his rule and to forgive and to redeem and to restore all the men and women on this planet. We are no longer, no longer enemies of God. Church, that's great news. Not just good news. We're not enemies anymore. God through Christ brings us peace. And we are called to proclaim that to the whole world. That's church. And you are not exempt from this part of the story. In this act five, you are not in the audience. You are not backstage. You are not a spectator. You are not a critic. You are not selling programs in the lobby. You are on the stage and you have lines to say and you have a script to perform and you have a role to play. If I can borrow Robin Williams' line from Dead Poets Society one more time, the powerful play goes on and you can contribute a verse. You must contribute a verse. All of us who've been baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are commissioned to join the story and to proclaim the good news. That's what's happening through the rest of the New Testament here. In part five of the story, all the characters are proclaiming. The church leaders, the church members, all disciples of Jesus Christ, they do the work of evangelism. It's the number one priority for all of Jesus' followers. No exceptions. In the New Testament, every single thing that happens serves the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's where we are today in Act 5. Now, we need to talk about three kind of facets to this Act 5, three pieces. And we really need to talk about all three of them because they're too important to leave out. And this is too important an act. I mean, this is our act. This is us. And we need to explore it. We need to, we need to, to study through this and work through it. We need to own it and live it. It, need, it needs to be us. The problem is I need about 20 or 25 minutes with each of the three pieces. So we're not doing them today. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're not doing them all. Here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday, we're going to finish the story of God. It does have an ending. The ending has already been written. You know this, right? We know how the story ends. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. We're going to look at Act 6, the conclusion of the story of God. And then we're going to have Christmas. And then we're going to have New Year's Day. And we're going to move over into the gym. And then on January 8th, we're going to start three weeks in a row where we jump back into Act 5. 
and we talk about these three things together for three weeks, okay? I think it'll be good over in the gym. It'll be kind of a new thing, and we can really dive into who are we in Act 5. Today, I want to just give you little sketches, okay? Little intros to each of these three pieces. So here we go. The first one is this. Our kingdom proclamation is directed by Holy Spirit power. In the book of Acts, here in chapter 1, we're told that after the resurrection, Jesus taught his apostles through the Holy Spirit. He spent 40 days teaching them, it says, about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them. If you went through your New Testament, I went through the whole Bible. You talk about connecting dots. If you underlined every time God ate with people, it'd be every other page. God's eating with his people. And Jesus gives them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, the part we play in Act 5, it can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is so important that we realize this because the mission is urgent and the good news must be proclaimed, but Jesus wouldn't let them start until they received the Holy Spirit. They were prepared. They had been taught. They were witnesses of every bit of it. They were ready to go, but not without the Holy Spirit. It wasn't going to happen without the Spirit. And when the followers of Jesus do receive the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they can't be stopped. 120 disciples of Jesus, both men and women, it says, sons and daughters, it says. They all receive God's Holy Spirit and they boldly proclaim the gospel of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked people, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. They proclaim the good news of the kingship of Jesus and the peace and security that he brings. And 3,000 people were baptized that day. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible says Peter and John are filled with the Holy Spirit when they proclaim the good news to the Sanhedrin. When they're released from jail, because generally when you proclaim that there's a new king, you get thrown in jail. When they're released from jail, the church prayed. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is facing opposition to the gospel and members of the synagogue begin to argue with him. But verse 10 says, they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. This whole New Testament, throughout all the letters, all the narratives, all the stories, it's the Holy Spirit who is filling the disciples with power to meet the proclamation challenges. He gives them boldness and courage. He gives them the right words to say, and he gives them the power to say them. You cannot proclaim the good news without Holy Spirit power. Secondly, the kingdom proclamation is expressed through Holy Spirit community. The Spirit of God creates a brand new community of people. All nations, all languages, they're all brought together under the perfect lordship of Jesus. Again, on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the apostles are quoting from the prophet Joel. Again, connecting dots. I will pour out my spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, connecting dots, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off to all whom the Lord our God will call. The Holy Spirit breaks down barriers between people. The Holy Spirit destroys the walls that exist between people, and he brings us together in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it's, it's mainly about the hard feelings and the, the differences that keep Jews and Gentiles separated and, and divided. But those hard feelings and those differences, all those walls have been destroyed now by God in Christ. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that, that you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Act 3, right? You didn't have any of that. You were without hope, it says. No hope. You were without God. But now, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create peace and to reconcile all of us to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we all have access to the Father by one spirit. The Soviets erected the Berlin Wall to keep East Berlin and West Berlin separated. In Bethlehem, there's a 27-foot high wall to divide the Palestinians from the Israelis. South of here, there's a wall along the Texas border that's intended to keep the Mexicans and the Central Americans out of the United States. We know all about walls. We know about walls. 
And it's not just physical walls. There are social walls and racial walls. There are gender barriers and economic barriers. We're divided by language. We're divided by politics. We're, we're segregated by ethnicity. We're, we're segregated by education. But listen to me, church. The blood of Jesus Christ brings all of us together. And the Spirit of God holds all of us together so that our unity in all of our diversity is an undeniable witness and testimony and proclamation to the power of the Prince of Peace. Galatians 3.26 makes it very clear. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you've clothed yourselves with Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Church, we've got to practice this, this tearing down of walls. We've got to be dedicated to demolishing all the things that separate us. We must do the very hard work of reconciliation because it is such a vital component of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, Peter messed this up one time in Antioch. Do you remember this story? Peter's under some social pressures there in Antioch. And so he stops eating with the Gentiles. He was getting criticized. So he refused to be seen with the Gentiles in public. And Paul called him on it. Remember this story? Paul says, you're not acting in line with the gospel. I think the, 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 the NIV says, you're not acting in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter, you're not living the truth of the story. Reconciliation, unity, one in Christ. If these barriers between us have been set aside by the death and resurrection of Jesus, if these distinctions were all abolished at the cross, then church, what barriers can be justified? If all people are created in God's image, if God's purpose is unity, if we are to love even our enemies, if Jesus took the world's hostility into himself to destroy it forever, on what grounds can we justify any barriers? Holy Spirit community. And then lastly, our kingdom proclamation is proven by our Holy Spirit lives. Proclamation springs from the experience of a changed life, and it cannot be doubted. It cannot be denied. Transformed lives just explode with testimony. Galatians 5, the Bible says, live by the Spirit. You are led by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Listen, our lives will never be changed. They will never be radically transformed 
without the Holy Spirit of God. And our lives have to be different. They've got to be obviously different if we're going to effectively proclaim the Lordship of Jesus. Now, part of the disconnect for us is our nominal discipleship. Honestly, it's our Sunday-only Christianity. That's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that for years, our churches have only called our people to come to services, write a check, try to be nice, and don't cuss too much. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that, right? You don't really have to be a Christian to do that. The truth of the good news proclamation is proven by our Holy Spirit lives. Listen, if you're not ever going to get out of your comfort zone, why in the world do you need a comforter? Holy Spirit lives. That's how we proclaim the good news. And the good news is that Jesus is the new king. All the kingdoms and nations of the world are now claimed under the lordship of the risen Christ. Church, that's what we proclaim. There's a new king. That's what the Christians proclaimed in Thessalonica in Acts 17, and it got them in trouble. They're hauled before the city officials, and here's the charge. Acts 17, verse 7. These people who have caused trouble all over the world, now they've come here. And they're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When you can only serve one king, which is what Jesus says, typically it'll get you in trouble. It'll land you in jail. That's what happened to the Christians in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Here's the charge. These people are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. At the end of Acts, Acts 28, here's the Apostle Paul, right under the nose of Caesar himself. He is in a prison in Rome. He's in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And the Bible says, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the whole point. The whole point is the world has turned a new corner. A new age has already dawned. The entire earth has a new king and people have to be told about it because not everybody knows. Not everybody knows. Most people today, in a world where Jesus is Lord, most people are still serving the old kings. There's no hope in that. There's no hope. Most people today are still placing their trust and their faith in the old kings and the old governments and the old political systems and structures. There's no hope in that. You see it in the Middle East where dictators rule unjustly and people are treated unfairly. There's no mercy there. You see it in Africa and in parts of Europe where the government refuses to meet the basic needs of its people. There's no grace there. You see it in this country where hope in America's political systems is all but gone. All the politicians on, on both sides of the spectrum and on every point in between, all of them say the same thing. You vote for me, you vote for us, and things will get better. The problem is none of us believes any of that anymore. We don't buy it. 
We don't believe in it. We don't hope in it. There's nothing there. And so the politicians have to make it worse by being louder and, and noisier and providing more spin and more hype. And we're to the point now and have been for a while where in this country, all the politicians act like celebrities and all the celebrities think they're politicians. There's no hope in that. None. We are God's church. And we are on stage right now in the fifth part of the story of God. We're in the same exact part of the story with Peter and John and with Lydia and Mary and with James and Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Justin Martyr and Augustine and Luther and Arminius and John Wesley and Alexander Campbell. We're all living in Act 5. And it's not all written yet. We are sent, each, each of us, by the authority of Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit to spread the word of his good and righteous rule, to tell the nations they have a new king. And by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, church, we're up for it. We're up for it. We can do this. Why? Because by God's grace and by his power, we experience divine restoration every single day. We have received his grace and his peace. We can speak of a new creation. We can live a new life because our Lord has defeated sin and death and Satan and everything that might ever separate us from God and from each other. And he is reigning today, right now, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Amen? He is our king. Stand with me, church. From Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.